Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. All right. As you can see, Pastor Rick's not here today. I think Pastor Kathy's down the hall on the encounter. And I got a little taste of what he does every encounter Sunday morning, because usually he teaches the vision, and then he runs down the hall, and he comes here and preaches. I tried that this morning. <laughs> I'm on my second cup of coffee. <laughs> today, I really felt in my heart when I was praying about this message that we were going to do a message on Reconciled. So the title today is Reconciled, and we kind of read a little verse about how God has reconciled us, but reconciliation has to do with a change in the relationship between God or man, or even man and man. And in order for reconciliation to happen, there has to be like a state of unfriendliness first, and then somewhere in the process of reconciliation, that changes to harmony or peace. So from hostility to peace. And then some also use the term fellowship when things are reconciled. They come back into fellowship with one another. So really, and I want to try to qualify this a little bit today as we're kind of going through today's message, reconciliation is not forgiveness. Confused in church circles all the time. Um, it's actually a separate idea. It overlaps with reconciliation and forgiveness, but you must have repentance and forgiveness in order for reconciliation to happen. And you can have forgiveness without reconciliation, but you cannot have reconciliation without forgiveness. So repentance and forgiveness are necessary if you're going to start taking steps towards reconciliation. So... Has anyone ever had a relationship that's been broken? Wow. I think I'm going to sit down and let you come up and preach. (laughs) Hold on. Has anyone ever been in a hostile position with their creator? All of us. Doesn't the Bible say all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory? All of us have been in a hostile position where we've been out of favor with God. So all of us needed to be reconciled to God. That's the first thing we'll talk about. But in your relationships with people, has, has anyone ever had their feelings hurt? Has anyone ever stepped on your toes? Have you ever hurt someone? Oh no, you guys would never do that. But see, we need to be reconciled with people also. So let's, let's start with being reconciled to God. I think that one's a little bit easier. Now, there's really a big miracle in this because as we see as we go through today's content, often when reconciliation is going to take place, the onus of responsibility to pursue reconciliation should be on the offender, What you talking about, preacher? (laughs) 
We'll bring Matthew 18 into it. Don't worry, I won't let the offended off the hook. But the onus of responsibility, biblically, I see it on the offender. We'll go to that in a minute. But this is a unique situation because we offended God by our sin. We broke God's law, we sinned against him, and as a result of our sin, the relationship with God was broken. But God did something amazing, and as the one who is offended by our wrongdoing, he actually paid the debt on our behalf and made provision for us to be reconciled back to him or restored to relationship with him. Not only did he give us forgiveness, he allows us to become his sons and daughters. Another, another way of rendering that is we can become friends of God. Scripturally, let's go to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 is going to be where I start. And I'm going to work my way through five or six scriptures as we talk about this to lay a good foundation in Isaiah 59.2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Anyone that says that they have not sinned is only fooling themselves. In fact, if I was to go through the Ten Commandments, I'd be willing to bet that most of you have broken at least nine of them. <laughs> and sometimes the little pious people are like, well, I never killed anyone. The Bible says, if you said, I hate you, you're guilty of murder. Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> so what happens is all of us have sinned, and it's our sin that's turned God away from us. It cut us off from him. It severed the relationship. It broke the relationship that we were to have with the creator, with the father. It's because of our sin. And then in Romans chapter 5, he does a great job Paul does a great job explaining the separation and the reconciliation that we see happening here. So watch, I'll read in Romans chapter 5, I'll start reading around verse 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. So even though God hadn't even established his law through the Ten Commandments, sin still produced death, and everyone, the law of sin and death entered in, and everyone's going to die. And everyone was dying at that point. Still, everyone died from that time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam's a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus came like Adam, conquered temptation, and he was crucified, he was murdered, he was killed for you and I, and he paid the debt of our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And he explains that as he goes on for Adam's 
For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see he's explaining over and over again, really, because of Adam, the law of sin and death entered the earth. We're all sinners, and because of our sin, we're separated from God. Because of Christ righteousness came to earth and now we can access righteousness and now we can be in relationship with God because now we can stand righteous because of the blood of Christ applied to our life. Are we doing okay? Amen. Colossians chapter one. Gotta lay a foundation. Always gotta lay a foundation in the word. Colossians chapter one, verse 20 to 22. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So we see that Christ's sacrifice at the cross was what reconciled us to God. So without the cross, there'd be no reconciliation with God. So if Jesus didn't really walk on the earth and didn't really go to a real cross and get murdered, guess what? You'd have a problem with God still. In Luke 23, I find it amazing. Jesus prayed for the very people that were taking his life and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He was paying their debt. <laughs> Think about that. Has anyone ever paid your debt? Think about it. Have you ever owed a million dollars? How about a billion? A trillion? Quadrillion? Quintillion? Octillion? That's a lot of money. How many say an octillion is a lot of, a lot of dollars? How many don't know what an octillion is? has to do with eight. <laughs> Maybe that's more money than you'll make in your lifetime or even 10,000 lifetimes. But if someone was going to pay that kind of a debt for you, a debt you could never pay, what would your response be to that person? And if they did it with a pure heart, with your best interest in mind... Isn't that the response we should have to God because he paid a debt that we could never pay? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it talks about there is one mediator between God and man. You know who that is? Jesus. He's the mediator. He's the one that went to God on your behalf and said, 
I paid the price of his sin. I paid the price of her sin. I'm the mediator. That's Jesus. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, I just want to read this one, verses 14, 15, and 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Do you know what that means? That means up until the time that Christ came to the cross, the Jews and the Gentiles were enemies. They were hostile towards one another. There was God's chosen people, the Jews, who had his laws to follow, and then there was everybody else. But when Jesus came, he united the two into one, abolished the old covenant, really, the old system of laws and regulations, instituted the new covenant, and put all men on equal footing before him. And now by faith, through grace, we access salvation, whether we're Jew or Gentile. And oh, by the way, we can be friends now. which is one of the amazing things I was talking about with the men on the encounter a minute ago because on any given Sunday, you'll have about 70 different people groups represented in our church because God has called us from all nations to worship him together. Okay, so we're all reconciled to God. How many say it's good to be God's friend? It's much better than the alternative, let me tell you. Have you ever read the Bible, what happens to his enemies? Oh, come on. My favorite one is those guys that challenged Moses, Korah and Abihu. Who are you, Moses? And Moses is like, move away from their tents. When the man of God tells you to move away from their tents, my suggestion... It says the earth opened up and swallowed them alive. Enemies of God, goodness. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I like this reconcile to God thing. <laughs> He's not the one you want to be on the wrong side of, let me tell you. <clears throat> Which leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That means God has given you and me a ministry of reconciliation. Look at your neighbor. In case you didn't know this, you're a minister of reconciliation. You can look at your other neighbor and say, you are too. 
Now, we want to reconcile people to God. That's one of the missions that God has for us being here on the planet. But I want to note something that I find very interesting. When I start looking at the scriptures, I find this fascinating because often the condition for reconciling with God is reconciling with people. What do you mean, preacher? I don't want to reconcile with people. I don't like people. You don't know what they did to me. I get it. I, I, I found this guy, his name was Patrick Doyle, and he had these four steps that I'm actually going to use Patrick Doyle's four steps for the foundation of this. I'm going to teach it a little different. I'm going to blend it with um, something that I thought was pretty good in the scriptures. A good example of this is in Genesis 32 and 33, and I'll give you the story in Genesis 32 and 33. There was two brothers. Their names were Esau and Jacob. And the story goes, Esau was out hunting one day. He came in and he was famished. Oh, brother, for a bowl of that soup, what I would give. And Jacob says, well, brother, if you want a bowl of this soup, it's going to cost you your birthright. And those of you that took Connect, I explained this in greater detail, but the birthright was the right of the firstborn where the inheritance was divided into one extra part. If there was three sons, it would be divided to four. If there was two, it was divided to three. And the older son would always get an extra portion. If there was eight sons, it was divided to nine. But with that, he had to take care of the widowed mother and any unmarried sisters and all the family affairs. That's what Esau traded to Jacob that day. Then later, Jacob deceives his father into the family blessing. And Esau wasn't too happy about that. That wasn't part of the deal. So how many say Esau is now offended? So who's the offender? Jacob. Who's the offended? Esau. So this is the story of their reconciliation in Genesis 32 and 33. I'll try to remember to point out some of the links that I have to this. Now, step one that Patrick Doyle gives us, and I think this is really good because it says this, it says, the offender must be convicted by God. So if you want to reconcile with the person, the offender has to be convicted by God. Doesn't the Bible tell us that godly sorrow produces what? Repentance. Repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, you see... Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. I'm not sorry I sent the severe letter to you. He's talking about the first Corinthians where he rebuked them. Though I was sorry at first, for I knew it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. There's that word repentance. We'll get to that. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you're not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in what? Spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You've showed you've done everything necessary to make things right. If the offender does not own the sin, there will never be reconciliation. There might be forgiveness, but reconciliation 
is a step beyond. Remember, there has to be repentance and forgiveness given. In Genesis, at the beginning of chapter 32, what do you see? The angel showed up and had a conversation with Jacob. The next thing you know, Jacob wants to reconcile with Esau. You know, if you're looking to God in prayer, don't be surprised when he asks you to reconcile with others and make things right. Well, show me scripture and verse on that, Pastor. Okay, I will. Go to Matthew 5, <laughs> verses 23 and 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, if you're preparing to put your tithes into the offering, if you're preparing to give some money to the poor, if you want to bless someone, if you want to give to missions, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, did it say you suddenly remember you have something against someone? No, it says if you remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, scripturally, I really see it. The onus is on the offender. If you know someone's offended at you, go and make, go and make nice. But until you own what you did, there's never going to be making nice. And I know these things get really messy and people see it different and, and I understand all that. But there's many clear cases where you've done something wrong and you just have a hard time owning it. And then you get frustrated that there's no reconciliation. Until the offender owns what they've done, you're not going to ever have reconciliation. Which tells me that sometimes our unanswered prayers can be due directly to a lack of reconciliation operating within our life. Now, Matthew 18 doesn't let the offended person off the hook. I said the onus of responsibility early is on the offender, but it doesn't let the offended off the hook. In Matthew 18, what does it say? If someone's offended you, you go to them privately. And, and you know, truth is, we see and understand that not every offender is aware of their offense. How many times has someone been upset with you and you didn't even know what you did? So sometimes they need to come to you privately and tell you. Really, I think what happens is you have to seek understanding, not argument, and then you get clarity, not conflict, and then you can get resolution. So when you go to someone to seek clarity, often understanding comes forth and the conflict is eliminated because you understand what's going on. Not always, but often. You will find your conflict is rooted in misunderstanding. So the other day, my wife and I were having a conversation. Yeah, true story. <laughs> And I probably answered her with a lot more attitude than I needed to in a bad tone. And my wife said, you're a jerk. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> so we were having some conversation a little bit later and she was seeking clarity. Well, maybe a little argument and then some clarity. <laughs> but in the process of our conversation, as she was seeking clarity she came to an understanding and she said something to the effect of, oh, when you say it like that. See, when, when I explained my thought process in full, not in part, without the attitude or the tone, we were able to come to a place of resolution in our relationship, I think. 
I should let her talk. She's here. Yes, we came to reconciliation. Um, but what was interesting to note, I was, I was praying this morning, and I was really pondering a few things, and one of the things that I was thinking about was our disagreement, and how oftentimes, not just in our life, in everyone's life, and corporately as a body of Christ, um, when, and like, you know, conflict happens, like he was preaching this Sunday, and when we are going to be speaking together, fireworks too. So conflict happens. Why? Because the enemy is seeking to divide us, to put strife between us. So, so we can't come together. But corporately as a body, church, it's really important that we understand and we need to know. Okay, it's always darkest before the dawn. So we need to understand corporately as a body, God is working through Pastor Rick and Kathy, through us, as a church, to position us in a place where we are going to be light, salt and light, not just to our area, but to our province, to our country, to our nation, to the world. So we're on the cusp of that. So I believe it's really important that as a body, when we are seeing and noticing that we need to be sharp in the spirit and, being, and going to God and asking him that, when we are having strife, when we are having division, when there is difficulty in our relationships, we need to be seeking reconciliation. And oftentimes, like when Pastor RJ pointed out, the reconciliation that God brought us was stronger than what was the covenant that was broken. So when God had covenant with the Israelites in the Old Testament, it was written in stone. It was law. And it was not something that was on their hearts. But when Jesus came, he said, I want to reconcile you to me with my heart and your heart. Heart to heart. So the bond that he created through reconciliation was even stronger. And so much more stronger because it's your choice to join your heart to his heart. So when that happens in our relationships, when we're seeking reconciliation, if we go through the steps properly... Reconciliation creates a bond that's stronger than it was before. Because you understand each other better. So you're seeking to understand. So it's just really important. Church, we need to be smart. We're on the cusp of something so great. And in the world right now, if you see, things are starting to happen and a shaking is coming. And don't think that the church is immune. A shaking is coming into the house because we are on the cusp of something great. And the enemy is going to do everything that he can to shake down relationship, because that's how God works, through relationship. Amen? Thank you. Generally, I study all weekend. For weeks, I think about the concept. I studied all day Fridays, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning early. I come up with this. She prays for an hour this morning and God drops that in her heart. And I'm like. <sighs> okay. And I'm trying to show you that this is messy sometimes and it's not so clean and neat and pretty. But the truth is, 
in those moments, you will find most of the offenses that you encounter are often due to a misunderstanding. And if you actually go to seek clarity, not confrontation, you'll be amazed at how many times that you can solve it right there. Now, there's times that it doesn't, I get that, but there's many times you can solve it right there. But it's, it's kind of our approach and what are we trying to accomplish. So the first thing is the offender must be convicted by God. The second thing, step two, Patrick Doyle, repentance. The offender has to have some contrition. And really, they have to come to that place where I don't have any rights and I'm broken about what I did. That's not I'm sorry. That's my behavior is going to change. I'm not just trying to say I'm sorry to smooth it over and make nice. I'm going to change the way that I act and interact with you so that you know how sorry I am. I'm not talking penance. I'm talking heart change and attitude change. And see, you got to understand something. When you're offended at someone, how many of you know that it's not your job to convict people of their sin? In fact, you're usually not helping God. You can point it out to them and then leave it alone. God's job is to convict people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And, and really, I see where people try to do God's job and they do more damage to the relationship in the name of revenge. I know. <laughs> but it feels so good. <laughs> the scriptures talk a lot about repentance and having a contrite heart. But I want you to know, what is the posture of Repentance. James chapter 4, it's always humility. God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. You can see this all through the scriptures. In Genesis 32, 33, what did Jacob do? He humbled himself before his brother. I think he bowed down seven times. How many of you have a sibling? <laughs> have you ever bowed seven times and humbled yourself before your sibling? It shows me that Jacob was penitent. There was some contrition there. It shows me that, you know, another example, this is Joseph, right? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They told his father that he was dead. His brothers came in the scene. Do you know he wouldn't even eat in the same room as them until he saw the repentance? Read the account. It wasn't until after Judah, who sold him, said, hey, take me in the stead of Benjamin that he realized that they were penitent for what they did. And at that point, they were able to reconcile. But repentance and confession had to come forth before there was reconciliation once again. And then we get to step three, confession of a specific item. You know, if there's no confession, there's no repentance. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, or I'm sorry I hurt your feelings because I said that you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. <laughs> There's a big difference in being specific for what you did, because if you're owning your offense, yes. you know, if you're apologizing to your kids because you were a workaholic and you were never around when they were young, I'm sorry that I was absent so much when you were young is a little bit more specific than I'm sorry for everything I ever did. Are you, are you catching the drift of that? Yeah. 
you need to be a little bit more specific when you're going through, if you want reconciliation, I want to go to Luke 17 and show you something here. This, this is a tough, this is a tough one. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke the person. Then, if there's repentance, forgive. Does it say if they don't own it, forgive? I mean, we have to operate in forgiveness as Christians, but really, forgiveness is released when there's repentance. Even if the person wrongs you seven times a day in each term and time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. So we have to forgive, but we forgive when there's repentance. How can you forgive if there's no repentance? I understand we have to release it for our sake because forgiveness is between you and God, right? But that step of reconciliation can never happen if there's no repentance. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate here. You'll never be reconciled to people unless they operate in repentance. I hope I didn't confuse you with that. Confession of a... So without forgiveness... And then Timothy Tyson said, if there's to be reconciliation, first there must be truth. I think that's fantastic because unless people acknowledge what the truth is, they're never going to reconcile. They're never going to come to that place where they can be restored to relationship. And I'm amazed at how many people have said, I'm sorry, and tried to go back to the same old, same old, but they've never reached that place of reconciliation because the offender has never owned what they've done. And the final step is asking for forgiveness, which requires honesty and restitution. In Genesis, Jacob attempted to make restitution. What did he send? Like seven groups of gifts ahead? <laughs> oh, by the way, brother, those are your items because I ripped you off. I deceived you and I am so sorry, so here's some gifts. Building trust again always requires behavior that is trustworthy. And there's a great fallacy here in the church. Well, I asked you for forgiveness, so now take me back and be like it was. We forget. The offender requires a behavior change and often some time to rebuild the trust that was broken. It's not going to go back to like it was until you rebuild those things that you destroyed. We don't like that because we want the quick fix. Wave the magic wand and make it better. Forgiveness in some sense is canceling the debt caused by the offender. However, in many cases, the debt is greater than an individual can repay. How do you restore a childhood lost or you're stuck in a horrible marriage, abusive marriage? You can't bring back a child that was lost to a drunk driver. You can't undo some things. How do, you, how do you make restitution in those cases? You can't. Forgiveness releases the payment of that debt. And then you go to God for healing. Because there's some debts that you'll never be able to pay. It allows the individual to become free of the expectation that the offender provides healing. You can't heal with a false expectation. Does that make sense? Did I say that good? First time I said it out loud. 
So what happens is sometimes we expect that the one who offended us has to make it right. And sometimes there's no way they can ever do that. That's where forgiveness comes in. And in some cases, you may never reconcile with people. Sometimes the damage is too great. Biblically, the Bible says in cases of adultery, you can walk away from the marriage covenant. There's no obligation to reconcile in a case of adultery. Zero. If people choose to, that's their choice, and they need to take steps in that direction. But if they choose not to, I'm not going to tell them to stay. It doesn't exempt, forgiveness does not exempt the offender from justice or being accountable. And in some cases, I'm telling you, reconciliation will never be possible. So there's four things we need to understand. If someone, if you've offended someone, if you've hurt someone, you need to be convicted by God because it's the godly sorrow that produces repentance. Then you need to repent. Then we need to confess what we've done. And then we need to ask for forgiveness. That is the process towards reconciliation. We see that even in Genesis 32 and 33. We see that in the life of Joseph. We see that through some of the New Testament teachings. But what happens is forgiveness as a Christian, we need to release that. But that does not mean that reconciliation is always going to happen. That's not what you want to hear from the preacher on a Sunday morning, that everything can be reconciled. By God's grace, sure, but you know what? There's a lot of situations that they're so broken, you can't fix it. Like I said, there's some things you can never make payment for or make amends for. That's why we release forgiveness. We seek healing from the Creator, and then we allow God to flow through us. And it is what it is, and now we have grace to walk out the new reality that we're in. So who needs to be reconciled? Well, all of us need to be reconciled to God. How many of you know you need to be reconciled to God? If you've never dealt with the sin issue between you and God, you need to have a conversation with him where you repent of your sin, confess your sin to him, and start taking on the nature and the character of Christ. But other than that, I mean, I made a little list. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, sisters and brothers, husbands and wives, friends, co-workers, neighbors, the guy who ripped you off, the people that wronged by another person that did harm to your group. I was reading, there was, a, there was a movement in Korea called the March, I think it was called the March 1st Rebellion, 120 years ago, 100 years ago, Japan conquered Korea. And at the time, um, they didn't necessarily treat the Korean people very nice. Like the one account I read, the Christians got together at a church to worship Jesus. And they barricaded the doors, doused the wooden church in gas kerosene, and lit it on fire with the people inside. And when they tried to come out the windows, they shot them. Do you know the Koreans were pretty bitter against the Japanese for a long time? 70, 50, 50 years later, 53 years later, a group of Japanese pastors was traveling through Korea and they came across this monument and they saw, some of them weren't even alive when this happened, and they saw what their forefathers had done. 
And they were so broken and so agonized that they went back to Japan and raised enough money to put up a new church. And when they went in and they were doing the dedication of the church, they were singing a simple hymn at the cross, at the cross. And a spirit of forgiveness broke out because of the repentance in the Japanese toward the Korean, and it reconciled the relationship between the Christian believers of the two nations. But it wasn't a, hey, this happened a long time ago by my forefathers, so forget about it. It was a, we owned what we did, and that was horrible, and we're going to do everything in our power to make it right. And through that, God healed the relationship. I'm using that as one for instance, but you know what? There's horrible things that happen all over Windsor, all over Essex County, all over Canada, all over the world. God wants us, as much as lies within us, to try to live at peace with people. We know that's not always possible, but he wants us to for sure operate in forgiveness and to pursue reconciliation if it's, if it's feasible. Stand with me. You might hear me talk about reconciliation today and say, I don't know, preacher, you don't know what they did to me. <laughs> I don't. God does. And I don't even know what you did to God, but I'm sure that all of us broke his law and broke our relationship with him. And even while we were sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And you know, one of the things that God has called people to do all over the place is to repent of our sin, to repent of our pride, to repent of our rebellion against God, to turn our life over to Jesus and let him come inside us to change us from the inside out. And when we confess our sin to God, he'll forgive us a sin. Then he leads us to this place where he starts sanctifying us, where he starts this process inside of us from the inside out but he gives us a new heart. But he asks us, after we've repented of our sin, to publicly declare our belief in him. And the way that we do that here in Windsor, Ontario in 2017 is, we say, listen, if you've given your life to Christ and you've repented of your sin and he's changed you from the inside out, make the public testimony, you walk down to the front of the church and then you go get baptized in water, signifying that the death of Christ you're identifying with when you go into the water, just like he went into the grave, and you identify with him in resurrection when you come up out of the water and you leave the old life behind and you take on the new. There's an exchange that takes place. And there's many people, and you'll hear me say this a lot, they're tormented in their conscience because they've never laid the old man down. They've never made a clean break from the world and been baptized in water since they professed their faith in Christ. So you repent of your sin, then you get baptized in water, uh, surrender to water baptism. If you've never been baptized as a professing believer, that's a step you've been missing out on, and you need to do that and identify with Christ in his burial and his resurrection so that you too can be free in your mind of the old life. And ultimately, God wants to reconcile you to himself, so if you've never given your life to Christ, you can also come down, because what happens is, then you too can have peace with your creator. 
The whole purpose of Christ's coming was to restore men and women just like you and me into relationship with him. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you that you came to earth for people just like us and you reconciled us to yourself. You restored us to harmony and peace with the Father. I thank you that you paid a debt we could never pay. And Lord, I thank you that as you were our example, that as much as lies within us, Lord, we will operate in forgiveness and we will release the debt that we hold against people. And Lord, where possible, I thank you that you can work reconciliation in our lives so we can be restored to harmony and wholeness in every arena. So we thank you that you're for us, not against us. And we ask, Lord, that today your spirit will be evident and that the spirit of truth will come forth in our lives and that we could tell ourselves the truth and we could see clearly those things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. So I thank you for our congregation today, Lord, and their faithfulness to you. I thank you for their faithfulness in, in, in serving the community, Lord. Give us the best week ever as we purpose to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen.